going to go ahead and get started. So I'd like to just, again, thank you all for being here. And, and those who are watching online, if this is in fact going out there, and it's November and we're heading very deep into fall right now. You can't help but see all the political signs lining the streets. Uh, that's almost over. Leaves are changing quickly. They're falling from the trees. Days are getting so much shorter and the nights are in fact getting a lot colder. Those of you who are beekeepers, I hope you have all your hum the honey is harvested and put away. Hunters are now heading deep into the woods and the pouring down rain in hopes to match wits with an animal out there that they can fill their freezer with. I hope your garden gardens are all harvested and everything's put away for the winter. There's a noticeable transition to fall into winter. And I had a really great spring and a great summer. I found great joy in watching Susan spending time out in her garden. The last few years, uh, several years, she has not had the time or the place to grow a garden. And as some of you may remember, we had an incredibly wet spring. Also, most people did not get their gardens put in just because everything was a swamp. On her behalf, I spent several days soaked to the bone, covered in mud, in the pouring down rain, trying to build a raised bed garden for her. And at times I questioned, why am I doing this? I am way too old to be out here in the mud. If any of you have tried to dig holes to put posts in mud and your shoes weigh 30 pounds caked with mud, it, you know, it, it, it's tough. But then all of a sudden one day I was done. I had everything done. Saying that, I know I'm never done. I got more to do. But for the most part, it was done. It was completed. She could begin her gardening. My part was done, and she now had her own little garden area. Now, the garden is a little bit away from the house. Our, we're, our house is on a hill, so she has to go out and down the hill. And every day, she would go down that hill, open the gate to her little garden, and she would step into her little garden sanctuary. That was her place all summer long. She would spend hours down there carefully tending to each and every plant that she was growing. Each bed needed its own different attention. She would pull the weeds, she would spend time thinning, watering, and caring for each and every one of these beds and gardens individually and collectively. The green beans, uh, I'd watch her sit there and tease them on up the trellises. Um, kind of made a really nice little arbor. It was really cool. Um, the squash, they tried to run all out in the walkways between the beds, and she's training them to go everywhere that she wanted them to go. Each and every plant that she so carefully planted had a purpose. And I would sit on that deck above up on the hill, looking down on her. Not like that. And, <laughs> and I realized seeing the joy that she had in that garden, it made all of my work absolutely worth it. Now tomatoes, I think, are her absolutely favorite plant. She would sit down there and prune off the little uh, limbs off of it and she would nurture these things to grow. 
and they would grow strong and healthy. She would pluck off the branches that needed pruning and thinning, and she would just throw them over the fence. And either the deer are going to come along and eat them, or uh, next time I mow, I'm just going to mulch them into the soil or into the grass. And she referred to those little limbs and branches as suckers. These branches would just rob the resources from the rest of the plant. I watched her prune back some of these plants so far that I thought there was no way they're going to even survive, let alone thrive the way they did. And yet each and every one of them grew back fuller and stronger. These healthy tomato plants produce beautiful fruit. And in the interest of full disclosure, I don't really like tomatoes, but she does. But some of the sauces she's made, she's made chili, she's made spaghetti, she's made sloppy joes, shepherd's pie, you name it, it's delicious. All from the tomatoes that she has grown. Now, her plants, due to her constant care and pruning, produced a lot of beautiful fruit. So much so that it was too much for us. You, there's been some sitting out there uh, as you come in for anybody who wanted it. We've given a lot away to friends and neighbors. It produced so much for us that we were able to give some of that fruit away. Now, obviously, Ricky and Asa are in Texas, so you are all stuck with me today. Uh, and when I said I would do this, my thoughts immediately turned to, what in the world am I going to do? I didn't have a topic. Um, and I know I can't be original as much as I would love to be and present you with something that you've never heard before. I know that's not going to happen. There is nothing new. And the scripture is very clear about that. No matter how much I want to be original, it's already been done. If you look at Ecclesiastes 1 and 9, it says, what will or what has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Everything has been done. Every great sermon idea that, you know, I think I'm original. Nope, I can find it. Uh, every angle, it seems, has been covered. I'm not going to give you anything original today. I got this topic when I was at a funeral service listening to a pastor speak about a gentleman who had passed away. And I took that idea, it really spoke to me. And I brought that idea home and I knew that's, that's it, that's my topic. And I, of course, supplemented it with a whole lot of commentaries. If you can't pick up a Bible and open it pretty much anywhere, read a verse, hey, go to those commentaries. And again, pray about the commentaries, pray for discernment. Um, I can't say that everything is good out there, but uh, with discernment, there is so much material. It just opens up the depth of these scriptures so much. And just in the act of putting this together today, I learned a lot. If I were to ask you to describe yourself, what would your answer be? How would you describe yourself? Would you describe your physical appearance? Would you describe your personality? 
Are you defined by your job title or what your hobbies are? What would you want people to know about what defines you? In the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven statements beginning with the words, I am. Each of these I am proclamations serves to further our understanding of the ministry of Jesus in this world. And with careful reading, you can see they also link Jesus back to the Old Testament revelations of God. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And here, Jesus establishes a pattern that continues throughout John's gospel. Jesus makes a statement of who he is, and he backs it up with something that he does. In this case, Jesus states that he is the bread of life just after he, feed, he fed 5,000 people in the wilderness. At the same time, looking at John 6, verse 49 and 50, he contrasts that with what he can do, what uh, he contrasts that, what he can do with Moses had done for his ancestors. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But there is a bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The second of Jesus's I am statements in John's gospel comes right before he heals a man who was blind. He was born blind. Jesus not only says he is the light, he proves it. In John 10, verse 7, Jesus said, I am the door. This I am statement stresses that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven by any other means than Christ himself. Jesus' words in this message are kind of crouched in the imagery of the sheepfold. He is the one and only way to enter the fold. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by the way, by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. I am the good shepherd comes from John 10, verse 11. With this I am statement, Jesus portrays his great love and care. He is the one who willingly protects his flock, even to the point of death. When Jesus called himself the good shepherd, he directly ties himself right back to the Old Testament. If you just remember Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. In John 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus made this I am statement immediately before raising Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead. And again, we see Jesus' teachings are not, it's not just empty talk. When he makes a claim, he, he substantiates that with action. Like it says in Revelations 1.8, he holds the keys to death and the grave. In raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus shows how he can fulfill God's promise to ancient Israel. If you remember back to Isaiah 26, verse 19, God's dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. Apart from Jesus, there is neither resurrection nor eternal life. 
In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is one of my favorites. I use this one uh, in several of the funerals that I officiate. And this is just such an incredible fact of Jesus that everyone needs to understand. It is just so packed with meaning. Jesus is not merely one of the many ways to God. He is the only way. Now, in Psalm 119.60, it says that the very essence of God's word is truth. And here is Jesus proclaiming that he is the truth. He confirms his identity as the word of God. And Jesus alone is the source of life, creator and sustainer and giver of eternal life. In verse 15, or uh, chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And this final metaphorical I am statement in the Gospel of John emphasizes the sustaining power of Christ. We are the branches. He is the vine. And just as a branch cannot bear fruit unless it is joined in vital union with the vine, uh, only those who are joined to Christ and receive their power from him can produce fruit in the Christian life. And yeah, there's a couple more I am statements in the book of John, but these weren't the metaphors that he was putting forth to identify who he is. And I, for one, am very thankful that he uses these metaphors in the way that he does. I think Jesus just knows the limitations of my thoughts. And if we can take what he says and when we can compare it to something we know, it just makes it that much easier to understand it. It's easier to get that connection. So each one of these I am statements is easily a sermon all by itself. And some of these you can break up into several sermons. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to keep you here all day. There is so much depth to be found here. Each one of them gives us a better understanding of who Jesus is. And I encourage you to look up in the book of John each of these I am statements. Read them, study them, learn about who your Savior is. That is, that's a message right there in itself. Pray for understanding and discernment and just see how much better you get to know your Heavenly Father. And you can probably guess which one I'm going to talk about today. I'm not going to go over them all, but it's John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, where Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them 
and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified and you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. There is just a ton of theology packed into these short eight verses. And again, diving into the commentaries, it, you can start to see certain themes that really come about. And the most obvious one to me is the identification of relationship. God is the vine grower, Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. Jesus' role was twice mentioned here. In verse 1, he identifies as the true vine, and in verse 5, as the vine. The vine is the life source of the branches. The simplicity of this analogy is right on point. Jesus uses a vine. I talked about Susan's tomatoes. In either case, the plants have a structure. That structure requires relationship with the various parts. Your relationship to your Heavenly Father is exactly the same. It is God who tends and flourishes the branches, and likewise, He will remove every branch that gives no yield, right there in verse 2. What is the key for this work in the vineyard? The key to that relationship is abiding. And just look how many times the word abide is used in these verses. The word abide, by my count, is repeated seven times. And that's the King James Version used. I think the uh, Quest Bible, I think it uses the term remain. When a word gets repeated often in text, and especially when that text just happens to be the Bible, and when the words are spoken by Jesus, you might want to pay attention there. Uh, it just might be important. It might be a concept you really want to get a handle on. And that is especially true when the word remains consistent throughout all of the different um, versions and translations. And abide is just such a word. The scriptures are full of statements about abiding with God and him abiding with us. Understanding the context and the meaning of the word can help us to grow. It'll help us to grow in our faith and our walk with God and with seeking peace in his presence. Now, the dictionary definition of abide, they define five uses of the verb. Um, to remain, as it says in the Quest Bible, continue and stay, to have one's abode, to dwell and reside, to put up with and tolerate, and to endure and withstand or withstand without yielding or submitting, and finally to wait, to wait for and wait. In the Bible, the word takes on, I think, a little bit more intimacy than that. And it's often used to show the need for us to rely on the Lord in every aspect of our lives. But nonetheless, 
However the translation states it, it is consistent across every one. It is important. Abiding is about being in a place where one remains close, where a relationship is sustained. There can be an element of waiting there as well. The sense of dwelling and enduring is one that is seen often in the Bible as well. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus? Well, first, the relationship of abiding means that our spiritual lives, in our spiritual lives, we're not going to go it alone. And right there in verse 4, Jesus notes, the impossible cannot happen. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless you abide in me. It's no secret that one can be deeply engaged in things of the church in publicly meaningful ways. That doesn't mean these activities are truly connected to Christ. Good works, great. We all ought to be out there doing what we can, doing good works, doing what is right. But if you're not doing them for the glory of God, you're not producing fruit. A branch must stay firmly attached to the vine to stay alive. As disciples of Christ, we must stay firmly connected to him to remain spiritually productive. When we neglect our spiritual life, if we ignore the word of God, if we are to skimp on prayer and withhold and try to hide the areas of our life from the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit, we are like the branches that are broken off the vine. Our lives will become fruitless. We need to daily surrender. We need daily communication. And sometimes we need hourly repentance. I know I do. To maintain our connection with the Holy Spirit to help us to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill, as it says in Galatians, the lusts of the flesh. Staying immediately connected to the true vine is the only way, as it says in Psalms 92, to bear fruit in our old age. It says in Isaiah 40, um, to run and not grow weary. And in Galatians 6, it's the only way we can not grow weary in doing well. One of the counterfeits to bearing good fruit is pretense. We can become experts at the routines and the lingo and acting Christian. And while experiencing no power and bearing no eternal fruit, our hearts remain self-centered. They remain angry and joyless even while we go through the motions of serving God we can very easily slip into the sin of the Pharisees. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were so caught up in judging themselves by how they think and how they appear to others that they neglected their heart. The heart is where all good fruit germinates. When we love and desire and pursue the same things that the rest of this world pursues, we're not abiding in Christ. And even though our lives may be filled with church activity, your heart has to be in the right place. And often we don't even realize we're 
living fruitless lives. Does that sound a little bit like pride and arrogance to you? And in this case, the vine grower eventually will get around to pruning such branches. Our society does tend to encourage us to be self-reliant, to do things on your own, to go your own way. And these prospects can certainly be inviting. And if you try to carry this attitude uh, over into your spiritual life, it is devastating. Dependency and interrelatedness, they are rarely valued to the extent that individualism is. And this passage on John, it flies in the face of this attitude, the attitude of independence and self-reliance with a very different type of invitation. And it's an invitation to dependence and reliance on God. Is the process of reliance an easy one? No, it's not. The vine grower will deal with each branch in a matter that will alter their very being and formation. And to those that think abiding is a free ride, just look back to verse 2. Jesus reminds them that every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to have it bear more fruit. Those believers who bear fruit have the privilege of being pruned, of being purged and purified and cleansed. And yes, I did say the word privilege. This is in order they might bear more fruit. And this pruning process can be accomplished in several ways. God may prune us by bringing into our lives tests of faith, testing us to see if we will rely on him and his promises to supply our needs in a time when we just can't do this into and of ourselves. Is it hard to rely on God in times such as this? And let me refer you back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 25 and 27. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It is is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So, yes, I think it should be easy to rely on your heavenly Father in times of trial. His pruning process might come in the way of a tragic circumstance, bringing us to total reliance on him, purging us from the strength that we have in and of ourselves. And you, for that, you can just look at the life of Paul and all that Paul went through. The pruning in the life of Paul brought him to realize his strength was made perfect in weakness. And God's grace was sufficient to see him through the most difficult spiritual and physical infirmities. And I know that kind of sounds kind of dark, but he can also change you in very joyous ways. And you think of the most joyous events that have taken place in your life. It could be the birth of a child. It could be your marriage, your family. 
It can be something as simple as the beauty of a sunrise when it's not pouring down rain. Was God in control in the good times? And did that event bless and change you? It's easy to sit back and become complacent. The only concern there is that you not get complacent. The goal is to experience relationship with Jesus at all times. That is the good times and the trying times. Now, if you have ever decided to clip your gardens back, your, your plants and your trees, you may experience this reluctance. Um, there's a reluctance in trimming off what look like beautiful branches, beautiful limbs, all for what, you know, there's a future benefit that you really can't see. It's a hoped for thing. What are your alternatives? Removal of self or removal of an entire congregation from the reality of abiding in the vine prompts the warning, you can do nothing. The string of verbs leaves very little to the imagination, saying such branches will be gathered, thrown, and burned. Apart from the vine, you are nothing but chaff. You can do nothing apart from the vine. And in choosing between submission to or departure from the vine, it truly is an all-or-nothing proposal. There isn't middle ground. Beyond the fact of reliance, abiding in Christ the vine means change. Uh, John 15 verse 5 notes that abiding means the opportunity to bear much fruit. And what does that mean? The passage does not clearly define bearing fruit. So what does that look like? Good fruit is that which is produced, well, going back in the natural world, fruit is a result of a healthy plant producing what it was designed to produce. And in the Bible, the word fruit is often used to describe a person's outward actions that come as a result from the condition of your heart. Good fruit is that which is produced by the Holy Spirit. And then you ask, what is that? That answer can be found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. It says, the fruit of his spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The more we allow the Holy Spirit free reign in our lives, the more this fruit is evident. Jesus told his followers in John 15, chapter, uh, 15, verse 6, I chose you and appoint you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Righteous fruit has an eternal benefit. Abiding in Christ establishes a communication element that does not exist outside of this divine human relationship. Jesus uh, invites those who are intent inviting in him to ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's found in John 15 verse 7. That is an amazing directive. 
The asking can only be done in Christ as part of this abiding. That involves our words as well. Jesus' invitation is to pray in the Spirit, in the Spirit of abiding, and to do so with full awareness of the surrounding environment, of the word of life to all people. Jesus' words show a readiness to respond to requests from all those who abide in him for two reasons. I'm sure there's several reasons, but I'm going to list two. The giving of good things to those who abide in him will glorify him in the presence of all those around you. Those who may doubt. And thus, this confirms to them God's activity. People can see God working in your lives every day. And furthermore, as a result of us asking and the divine giving, Jesus says, you become my disciples. That's right there in John 15, 8. The asking proves and is part of the process of disciplining. This is both to those who wish to abide and those who witness it taking place in your life. Your testimony, your life is a testimony every day to those who do not abide. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? And as seen in John 15, abiding in Christ is the key to salvation and developing a strong relationship with God. One abides with Christ primarily by being in proximity to him through fellowship and being sustained by him while partnering with his work for the kingdom of God. The believer strives to be steadfast and faithful in this relationship. All this while partnering with the Lord for his glory. You compare this with the covenants of the Old Testament. And if you look at the covenant of Abraham and God in Genesis 17, each party is obligated to achieve their part of the agreement. The wonderful thing for us is that God fulfilled our obligation to the law through Jesus. His sacrifice fulfilled that obligation. Instead of meeting obligations in order to try to maintain one's own righteousness, we are invited to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. Seeking this relationship is, that's abiding in Christ. How do we achieve this? How do we get to where we can abide in Jesus? And, and I just came up with four, but there's a million ways to do this. Set a, aside time every day to pray. If you set aside consistently time to go to God with thanksgiving, and like it says here, go to him with your requests, that is such an important element to abiding with the Lord you kind of can look at it as relationship with friends and family. Communication is key. Relationship is key. And 
you maintain that relationship with communication. <sighs> Seeking this relationship is abiding in Christ. Read the Bible. God preserved his word for each and every generation and spending time learning more about who he is and what he has done for his people. It will expand your personal knowledge of what the Lord has done, what he can do, and what he will do. That will strengthen our relationship with him. And again, the closer you are to Jesus, the more his word is revealed to you. Read the parables. Read the I am statements. Read the stories. Read the prophecies. Pray for understanding. Pray for enlightenment. Get to know your Savior on a deeper level. Another way, get involved in ministry. When Jesus speaks about abiding with him, some of it involves with, in partnering with the Lord for his glory and for the kingdom of God. Investing in the things of God means investing in eternal things. Working for the Lord requires one to lean on him more and grow a deeper relationship with him. So where do you fit in? I was at a service one time in a small church, and above the door as you're walking out, there's a sign that says, you are about to enter your mission field. That spoke to me that day. When you leave here, are you an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven? Or are you just going through the motions? I personally would rather be that ambassador. Actively seek the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the comforter sent to abide and indwell in us within each and every believer. And upon accepting salvation, the Spirit begins to transform and change the individual. The Holy Spirit cultivates the good fruits and the character traits, convicts the individual of sin, and produces transformation. Seeking this element of God that actually abides with us and teaches us to abide better with Him him. Abiding with God is a very special relationship, and he offers that relationship to each of us. And after the miracle of salvation, people can grow. They can grow closer to the one who created them, the one who saved them, and the one they will spend eternity with. And I am running late. Abide with the Lord and receive the blessings of knowing God personally. Those who do not abide in Christ, though they may seem to flourish for a while, they come to nothing. The fire is the fittest place for withered branches. They're really good for nothing else. Let us seek to live more simply on the fullness of Christ and to grow more connected and more fruitful in every good word and every good act that we do so that our joy in him and in his salvation may be full. What does your relationship 
with Jesus look like? Are you ready to be pruned that you might produce more fruit? Or are you on course to be gathered, thrown, and burned? And the choice really is yours. Will you please join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge the need for your guidance, your counsel, and your grace. Abiding in you and abiding is such a huge blessing and it's such a huge gift. We thank you for the relationship that is made possible by your sacrifice. We are blessed by the ability to pour out our hearts to you and know that you not only listen, but you answer our prayers. Lord, please continue to guide and prune us to produce more and better fruit for your glory. Amen.